0: Uh, Brothers and sisters, uh, let's pray pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, we pray that this morning you'd give us all the grace we need. Please give me the grace that I need to speak your word faithfully and clearly. uh, And please give us all the grace we need to hear your word rightly, uh, to trust it, uh, to receive it into our hearts and our minds uh, in such a way that we are changed by it. Uh, For the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You deserve better than this. Uh, The advertising industry knows that we just love to hear those words. You deserve better than this. You know, you've been slaving away. You've been working hard. uh, So you deserve that, that that cold beer at the end of the day. You deserve that holiday. You deserve that new car. Uh, You you deserve that house that you've always wanted to buy in that dream location. Uh, You deserve, uh, some of you might remember this from your childhood, you deserve that knife that can cut through a shoe. You know, who, you know, who hasn't ever thought, I need a knife that can cut through a shoe. So you deserve that knife that can actually cut through a shoe. You deserve, you deserve that cleaning product that can cut through even the toughest of stains. You deserve better than this. That's the constant message that we're fed by our culture. Your current lot in life, it's just not fair. You deserve more than that. You deserve better than that. And, of course, after a while, we start to think, you're right, I actually do deserve better than this. Maybe we get a bit grumpy, a bit frustrated, a bit irritated as we compare ourselves to other people who have more than us. We envy them or we get jealous of what they have and what we don't have. A few weeks ago, I was on annual leave for a week And after a few days, Gabby said to me, Aaron, why are you so grumpy and so so irritable with me and the kids? Why are you snapping all the time? Of course, initially, I went with all the standard excuses. I'm tired. I'm stressed. It's, you know, a big uh, busy time leading up to Easter, COVID-19, all the kids at home, all cooped up inside, et cetera, et cetera, blah, 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 you know. But I mean, as I went away and reflected a little bit more, I realised that the reason, uh, the real reason why I was so grumpy uh, was that I'd spent most of my week uh, sorting out, organising the office, uh, my office and the house uh, to make it all just a little bit more manageable uh, for my vision impairment. Everything now, uh, all the more, has to have its place in the house so I know where it is. Uh, and uh, I'd been on the phone to Vision Australia Uh, The organisation for people who have vision impairments are asking for their help with various things, getting their advice about different technologies. And as I'd kept uh, engaging with this sort of stuff, I realised that I was getting grumpier and grumpier. In fact, not just grumpy with Gabby and the kids, but actually grumpy with God. Grumpy at God, saying saying to God, God, uh, surely I deserve better than this. God, don't, don't you know what I've done for you? Or perhaps you've forgotten God. Let, let me remind you what I've done. I trusted you, God. I followed you. I gave up uh, kind of perfectly valid other career options to go into full-time gospel, gospel ministry. I planted this church. Don't you know what I've done, God? I've given up relationships of real significance for you. I've given up respect and certain levels of status for you. Surely I deserve better than this, God. Surely I deserve better than going blind. And as I reflected on that, that kind of internal narrative that was coming a part of my life, I realised that I was starting to see the world almost exclusively through what you might call fairness glasses. I heard this illustration from an American preacher named Kevin DeYoung. And he, of course, talked about the fact that every day I put on these glasses and therefore I see the world through these glasses. I view the world through them. I interpret the world through these glasses. Likewise, spiritually speaking, each and every day we put on a particular set of glasses. Glasses through which we see the world and interpret the world. We filter the world. Some of us, every morning, put on our fairness glasses. And the basic kind of filter of our fairness glasses is that I deserve to be coming first in life, and yet here I am coming last. I deserve to be coming first, and yet here I am coming last. I'm just not where I expected to be in my career. I haven't been able to buy that house that I've always longed for. My marriage is always struggling in comparison to their marriage. I get on social media and all the kids on there seem to be behaving like little cherubs, you know, little angels, uh, whereas my kids are behaving like little devils. What's with that? I deserve better than this. So why, why and when I come to think of it, uh, in the midst of coronavirus, uh, why do I have to homeschool my kids? You know, I never signed up for that. Why is it that that person gets the job keeper allowance and I don't? Why did that person get served before me in the cafe? You know, don't they realise how long I've been waiting for a good quality takeaway coffee? I was here first. I know I'm not saying there aren't real injustices in life. Of course there are real injustices. What I'm talking about with these fairness glasses is putting on glasses that, that give you a whole way of seeing things a whole different worldview, a whole way of interpreting every event in your life through the lens of, I deserve better than this, I deserve to be coming first, and yet here I am coming last. Well, in today's passage, Jesus reminds us that God's kingdom is a kingdom of grace. So as those who are a part of his kingdom, we're called to put on our glasses of grace, To get up every morning and put on our glasses and say, wow, you know, I deserve to be coming last in life. As a miserable and broken sinner, I deserve nothing from God than his judgment and anger. And yet here I am with far more than I ever deserved. Here I am and I'm coming first or at at least I'm around the middle of the pack. I wonder each morning, which glasses are you putting on? Are you putting on your fairness glasses or your glasses of grace? We saw at the end of Matthew chapter 19 that Peter and the apostles had been very much putting on their fairness glasses. Uh, if you look back in your, in your Bibles at Matthew 19, verse 27, Peter, as the kind of spokesperson for the apostles, uh, says to Jesus in verse 27, uh, We have left everything to follow you, Jesus. What then will there be for us? Right, you hear Peter's tone. Surely we deserve better than this. What's in it for us? Right, notice, uh, though, that Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter for, for expecting that there'd be some sort of reward for following him. In verses twenty eight and twenty nine Jesus says, "You will be rewarded for following me. Right, you'll be rewarded the, when Jesus Jesus says, when I return uh, when I return uh, to renew all things, right to create a new heavens and new earth, you guys will reign with me. Right, and you'll be rewarded, Jesus says, uh, with one hundred times as much as anything you sacrifice for the sake of following me. It's very clear that if you follow Jesus, you will be rewarded. But, Jesus says, verse 30, but Jesus has sensed a kind of attitude problem behind Peter's question, a heart problem. And it's that heart problem uh, that I want to explore uh, for the bulk of the rest of our sermon this day. Jesus reminds Peter in verse 30 uh, and the rest of the apostles that many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. So uh, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, he illustrates what he means uh, by telling this parable in in Matthew 20 verses 1 to 16, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, So first, I want to briefly unpack uh, just the actual story of that parable. Jesus says in verse 1, uh, in verse uh, 30 of chapter 19, many who are last will be first and many who are f- uh, first will be last for, right? because the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says. Right? He's saying that this is what it's like uh, to live under God's kingly rule. Well, what is it like? Well, Jesus says it's like a landowner who owns a vineyard and he goes out early in the morning, right? probably about 6 a.m., Uh, because he needs some workers for his vineyard. He goes out, he he finds some workers, he has a conversation with them, uh, and they come to an agreement, a sort of an employment contract, if you like. Uh, The landowner says, you guys can work in my vineyard all day, and at the end of the day, I'll give you a denarius. So those workers go and work in his vineyard. Uh, for this denarius, it's a very fair wage. Your, your Bibles might have a footnote saying a denarius uh, is the usual daily wage for a day laborer in this day. A very fair wage. They go and work in the landowner's vineyard. And then at 9am, the landowner goes out again. Uh, this time, uh, he goes out into the marketplace uh, and he finds a whole bunch of workers standing around doing nothing. Nothing. For those who are familiar with La Trobe Uni, uh, you might be interested to know that that word marketplace uh, is the Greek word agora. The agora is the central student hub at La Trobe University. It's where students uh, buy food and maybe do some business and uh, kind of hang out with their friends. And frankly, like these workers, sometimes don't not do too much at all. Uh, so the landowner goes out and he finds these workers standing around in the Agora, uh, doing not much at all, uh, probably outside the equivalent uh, of the local Centrelink or the unemployment agency, and he says to them, well, why don't you go and work in my vineyard too? And you'll notice in verse 4 uh, that there's no agreement with these workers about what the is going to pay them. Uh, the landowner just says, I'm going to pay you what is right. So those workers go and work in the vineyard too. Uh, The landowner goes out again at midday, then he goes out again at three o'clock, and finally he goes out at five p.m., the 11th hour of the 12-hour working day, uh, and he finds still more workers standing around in the marketplace doing nothing. Uh, And he says even to those workers, uh, why don't you go and work in my vineyard? Then at the end of the day, around 6 p.m., the landowner gets the manager of his vineyard uh, to call all the workers together to pay them. Uh, But he insists, it's interesting, he insists that the uh, manager must pay the workers who arrived last, right, at 5 p.m. He must pay those workers first. So you can imagine all the workers queuing up uh, and the workers who arrived last at 5 p.m. come to the head of the queue. Uh, and they receive a denarius for working that last hour of the day. You can imagine that the workers who arrive first at 6 a.m. thinking that that's outrageous. Yeah, that, that's completely unfair. Uh, but perhaps then they thought, well, look, look, maybe the landowner's changed his mind, right? He's decided that, that he's actually going to pay a denarius per hour. Uh, so when we get to the head of the queue, we're going to get 12 denarii. Well, like, we've totally hit the jackpot here. This landowner, is going to give us 12 denarii for one day's work. But then they get to the head of the queue and they get the one denarius as well. It just seems un- incredibly unfair, doesn't it? We, we sympathise with these workers. The workers gather together, these first workers, and it's like they, they get their union rep to speak up to the landowner. This is not fair. You know, we've been here all day slaving away. We've been here through the heat of the day. How can you possibly pay us the same as these freeloaders who only rocked up at 5pm? Man, we sympathise with these workers. It's just not fair. But maybe that's because we've been putting on the same fairness glasses as Peter and the Apostles were at the end of chapter 19. Maybe, maybe it's because we share a little bit of their same heart problem, their heart problem, which I think is really exposed by the three questions that the landowner asks these first workers in verses 13 to 15. This is where the real significance of this parable lies. It helps us to explore that hard problem. These three questions form what I want to suggest is the main point of this passage, which is that God God gives his gifts of salvation and blessing freely with both fairness and grace. God gives his gifts of salvation and blessing freely with both fairness and grace. I remember Jesus is telling this parable uh, to tell us what it's like to live under God's kingly rule, to to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, So the landowner in this parable is God, in case you hadn't already made that connection. Uh, So Jesus is telling us here that God gives his gifts of salvation and blessing freely uh, with both fairness and grace. Uh, So if you look first at verse 13, uh, we see there that God is fair because he gives us exactly what he's promised us. Look at verse 13. The landowner says, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? You see what he's saying? Look, at the start of the day, we formed that contract. I said I promised you that at the end of the day, I'd give you a denarius. And sure enough, at the end of the day, I've given you a denarius. So kind of stop complaining and take your pay and go home. I mean, be grateful, the landowner says, that I've given you what I promised you. Right? God is fair, Jesus is saying, because he gives us exactly what he's promised us. Well, what has God promised us? Well, He's promised us assurance. Right? Assurance that if we put our faith in Christ, we'll be forgiven of all our sins. Well, we can know that we're secure in his love as his dearly loved children forever. Has God not delivered on that promise? He has delivered. He's been faithful to that promise. We know by the power of God's spirit what it's like to, to be deeply assured of God's love for us as his children. God is fair here. He gives us what he's promised us. God's promise to change us, to sanctify us, to, to make us more like Christ. And now I know that none of us are perfect. You know, I'm not talking about that. But I'm sure all of us can look back to the sins and struggles that, that we used to have, uh, that God over time, by the power of his spirit, has actually set us free from. God has been faithful to his promise to change us, to, to conform us to the image of his son. God promises in James 1 verse 5, he promises wisdom to those who lack wisdom and ask for wisdom. Now, once again, I know that all of us have made very foolish decisions. I certainly have. But if I look back, I know that I would have made a whole lot more foolish decisions if it wasn't for the wisdom that I gained from God's word and his people over the years. God has been faithful to his promise in giving me wisdom. God promises to provide for us, right, to, to give us our daily bread. Now, of course, all of us have needs. I understand that. And some of us are even more acutely aware of our needs in, in this time of COVID-19. But I reckon all of us could also testify with King David, who in Psalm 23 uh, was able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, so I lack nothing. Right? Our God is faithful. his promises. Our God is fair, he's faithful, he's righteous, because he always gives us exactly what he's promised us. And as the sovereign king over all creation, the earth is his and everything in it. So he is free, free to to distribute his blessings of salvation and blessing however he wants. Absolutely free. Look at verse 14, that the landowner says, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? The landowner kind of says, you guys are so consumed with your own rights that you've forgotten about my rights. This is my vineyard, he's saying. I'm free to hire whoever I want and pay pay them whatever I want. And frankly, I really don't care what you think of my business plan. That's what the landowner's saying. Likewise, this is God's world. We are God's people. God is free to save whoever he wants, and God is free to bless whoever he wants. He's free to save whoever he wants. This is interesting, uh, in part because throughout the Bible, this picture of the vineyard uh, is actually a picture of God's people. Perhaps most famously in Isaiah chapter 5, it's a picture of the nation of Israel. But also in John chapter 15, it's a picture of all those, all Christians, who by faith have been grafted into Jesus, who you might remember is called the true vine. So Jews and Gentiles grafted into Jesus by faith. And as we're thinking about uh, this picture of the vineyard and this idea of God's people, it reminds us that just a couple of chapters before this, in Matthew 16, uh, Jesus said he was going to build his church, his people. And then at the end of Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 28, uh, we see that Jesus' people uh, is going to consist not just of people from the nation of Israel, uh, but people of every nation. All sorts of people are going to be welcomed in to God's vineyard. Not just Jews, but Gentiles too, non-Jews. Now perhaps you can imagine how the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day would have felt about that. How can God welcome not just Gentiles into his vineyard, but the lowest of the low of the Gentiles? You know, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, lepers, the, the demon possessed, for fishermen like that Peter guy. How can God welcome them into His vineyard? Right, surely. I mean, I can see, I can see why God would welcome us into His vineyard. They might have been saying. Well, We've been his people for centuries. We've been slaving away under the oppression, under the oppression of the Babylonians, under the oppression of the Egyptians, and now under the oppression of the Romans. We've been doing our absolute best to obey his every law. I can see how God would save us, the Jews might say. But I can't see how his grace would possibly extend to those Gentiles. How can they just be welcomed in at the 11th hour and receive all the same blessings as us? But what does Jesus say? Jesus says God is free to distribute his gift of salvation however he wants. And you might say, well, of course God's free to do that. He can save whoever he wants. I'm not a kind of self-righteous Jewish religious leader like they were. But still, I reckon most of us would say, well, look, God's free to save nearly everyone, but not those people. And there's that little part of us that that still struggles with God's free grace. I was thinking this week about a guy named Jeffrey Dahmer. Some of you know the name Jeffrey Dahmer and it brings up all sorts of ideas in your head. Some of you don't know it all. I'm not going to say a lot about what Jeffrey Dahmer did because what he did was really unspeakably evil. In short... He took the lives of 17 young men in the most grotesque and gruesome ways possible. Disgusting crimes. The thing is that when Jeffrey Dahmer was in prison, uh, some people reached out to some Christians reached out to him with kind of gospel tracts. Uh, and eventually, uh, by all accounts, it seems that he became a Christian. He made a private confession to a local pastor, a profession of his faith in Christ, and then he did a national TV interview in the states, professing his faith in Jesus. Jesus it was his savior and Lord. He said. You can look that up on the internet if you want to. Just a few days after that, Jeffrey Dahmer was attacked and killed in prison. So my question is, was Je- will Jeffrey Dahmer receive his denarius? use the language of the parable. Will he receive the eternal life that God promised him? It's hard for us to know if he was a real Christian because he became a Christian at the 11th hour of his life. He didn't have a lot of time to prove his faith. But what we do know is that God is free to save whoever he wants. Right? He's free to, to distrib- distribute his gift of salvation however he wants. Even if, even if we feel uncomfortable about his distribution plan. We don't like it. Well, we're disgusted by it. Well, God is free to distribute his gift of salvation however he wants. And he's free to, to distribute all his other blessings however he wants. I remember Peter and the apostles. You know, Peter at the end of chapter nineteen, kind of saying to Jesus, "Jesus, look, sure, some people are getting on your bandwagon now. I see your your rising popularity, right? But we've been here from the beginning. Don't forget that. Surely we deserve to be rewarded a whole lot more than these latecomers." And Jesus says, well, "Maybe you will be rewarded." But he also says God is free to distribute his blessings however he wants. And maybe some of you feel like that about DPC. Don't you, yeah, don't, don't you realise, God, oh, I was with DPC from the very beginning. Right? No, not, just, not just when Aaron and Gabby were meeting with the team in Clifton Hill, but at their house in Fitzroy North. I was there. I, I was thinking about this church plant before Aaron was even thinking about it, before you were even thinking about it. God, don't, don't you know... How many plates of supper I've made and served at DPC? right? How many chairs I've set up at the AAL? Don't you know how many, how many times I've led a gospel community over the years? Don't you know, God? Surely I deserve to be blessed more than, than that person who just rocked up in January. No, but Jesus says that's, not, that's just not how blessing economics work in God's kingdom. God is free to distribute his blessings however he wants. We don't serve to kind of twist God's arm to, to get more blessing out of him. We serve for the sheer pleasure of serving our gracious king. Well, we've got to understand this but because it'll help us to be grateful for God's generosity to us rather than grumbling about God's generosity to others. And next week, we're going to be starting a series in Exodus 1 to 15. And a key part of the book of Exodus is that God, in his amazing grace, saves his people from Egypt, from slavery in Egypt. A wonderful story of God's grace. But of course, it's not long before the people of Israel are grumbling at God. And we can be just like them, can't we? We've experienced in Christ God's amazing grace in setting us free from sin and death and Satan. Wonderful salvation. And yet, so often we're grumbling at God. So, Paul warns us in, in Philippians 2, verse 14, not to grumble and complain. Peter warns us in 1 Peter 4, verse 9, not to grumble and complain. James warns us in James 5, verse 9, not to grumble. And Jesus warns us here not to be amongst the people who grumble at God's grace. I'd be grateful. Right. Be grateful primarily because of God's wonderful gift of salvation uh, that he's showered upon you. Uh, and be grateful also because of all the other blessings uh, that God has given you. Right. God is absolutely free uh, to distribute his gifts of salvation and blessing however he wants. Uh, and God is gracious, by uh, giving all of us far more than we ever deserved uh, so we can be joyous not jealous. Uh, Look look at verse 15. Or are you envious, the landowner says, because I am generous? Literally, are you giving me the evil eye because I've been so generous to others? I want to talk about this idea of us being envious at God's generosity to others, Not, not primarily in terms of his generosity in saving other people, Uh, but in terms of his generosity in in blessing other people in general. Uh, James 1 verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from God above. So the question I'm asking is, is what do we do when God seems to be sending more good and perfect gifts down to other people than he does to us? Being more generous to other people than he is to us. I find this, uh, my particular challenge in this space is in the area of ministry success. I look at other people and I ask myself, why is that guy's church plant growing more than ours? Why does everything he touches seems to turn to gold? And I try it in my context and it just sort of bombs. Why has God blessed that church with an amazing building, but not us? And so I find myself, rather than being able to rejoice at my brother or sister's ministry success, I find myself being jealous at them, being envious at them, giving them the evil eye, as it were. Because I think God's been too generous to them. Uh, Quite a few of you come along to a kingdom prayer and praise meeting this week. Uh, In those meetings where we're going to be praying for revival in the city of Melbourne, that that thousands of people would come to know Christ. And as I was thinking about this week, uh, thinking about this this week, I was thinking, would I be okay? Uh, if God sent a revival like that to Melbourne and it had absolutely nothing to do with DPC, uh, all the conversions and wonderful changes, that they were all happening up the road at the local Baptist church or the Anglican church or at some other church, but not at DPC, would I, would I not just be okay with that, but rejoice at that? Well, I'd like to think that I would be. I think often I would be. But sometimes I think I'd be jealous. Jealous. Jealous, but because I just really wanted God to bless me in that way and not them. In the end, the question to me seems to be, uh, is God's amazing grace to me in saving me enough for me? Is it enough? right? God, to, to use the language of this parable, God, God went out to me. God found me. Well, when I was spiritually lazy and lo- useless, you know, standing around uh, doing, of not, uh, doing not much spiritual good, God brought me into his people. God made me useful in his kingdom work. And God has given me the assurance that at the end of the days, he'll he'll gather me together with all his people and I'll I'll receive my denarius. I'll receive the eternal life that he promised me, eternal life with him and his people in a new heavens and new earth. And sometimes I've got to say to myself, Aaron, why is that not enough for you? Why is that not enough for you to be filled with joy even when your brother or sister is having more ministry success than you? For me, it's ministry success. I wonder what it is for you. What is it that maybe kind of promotes a bit of jealousy in your heart? You see others enjoying the good gifts that God's given them and rather than being able to rejoice with them and cheer them on, Uh, You find yourself uh, struggling with jealousy and envy and bitterness. Uh, Perhaps for you, uh, it's when you're at church and and you really can't rejoice when your brother or sister gets a promotion. Why didn't God give me a promotion? I'm smarter than them. I work harder than them. I've got more experience than them. Right? Oh, I deserve a promotion. So you find yourself not being able to rejoice with your brother or sister, but being jealous of your brother or sister. Some of you aren't able to, I find it almost impossible to rejoice when you hear the news at church uh, that another couple's having a baby. No, I totally get that. I understand. I, Gabby and I have been right there. You're kind of sitting there in church, you hear the news, uh, and, and you're almost doing the maths in your head. You know, you're kind of like, oh, wait a second. Uh, that, couple, that, that couple only got married like six months ago. They must have got pregnant like straight away. Uh, probably they just got pregnant by washing their clothes in the same washing machine. You know, like, like what's with that, God? Where's our baby? Surely we deserve better than this. Some of you perhaps struggle to rejoice uh, when you see the health and vitality and kind of uh, joy uh, of your brother or sister in Christ. You you find yourself saying to yourself, well, God, why did you have to make their health so good when I struggle to even get out of bed? Why do you have to give them such uh, peace and, and joy in their emotions when my emotions are all over the place? There are all sorts of ways in which we can find ourselves being jealous at our brothers and sisters, at God's generosity to our brothers and sisters, rather than rejoicing at our brothers and sisters. So what do we do in those moments? Oh, well, let me tell you what I do. In the spirit of the psalmist in Psalm 42, I say to myself, why are you so jealous, O my soul? Why are you so jealous? In God's amazing grace, he's given you far more than you ever deserved. So you are free to rejoice at, your, at what happens for your, what's happened for your brother or sister in Christ and not be filled with jealousy. If we keep reminding ourselves and one another of God's amazing grace to us in Christ that he went out to us, that he found us, that he made us fit for his kingdom work. If we keep reminding one another of that amazing grace that we've received in Christ, uh, then I reckon over time uh, we'll be able to be a much more joyful people uh, rather than being filled with jealousy. Uh, So in verse 16, we come to uh, what I've called the sting of the parable. You know, the the punchline, the, the sting in the tail. Jesus says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. That is, if you proudly think that because of your success and your influence and your prominence in this world, that you'll somehow automatically be first in God's kingdom, then you might be surprised that you end up last when God gathers us together at the end of the days. But on the other hand... Uh, if you humbly recognise that because of your weakness and your brokenness and sin, uh, you actually deserve uh, to be last, uh, then you might be surprised that that when God gathers us together at the end of days, uh, you'll be held in much higher regard by God than you ever were in this world. Uh, So often we find ourselves thinking, I deserve better than this. I deserve better than this. Of course, the truth is that in God's amazing grace, we've all received far more than we ever deserved. Uh, We ought to be careful about asking God to give us what we deserve. And may God help us to see that that he's already given us far more than we deserve. May God help us each and every day to put on our glasses of grace and to see that our God is fair. Uh, for he's given us exactly what he promised us. Uh, That our God is free to distribute his gifts of salvation and blessing however he wants. Uh, And that our God is gracious, uh, for he's already given all of us far more than we ever deserved, uh, so our hearts can be filled uh, with gratefulness rather than grumbling, with joy rather than jealousy. For we know that in our sin, we deserved absolutely nothing from God. And yet in Christ, God gave us everything. He gave us his son. He gave us the one who was truly first, that he would become last for our sake. Let's pray. Oh, our gracious Father, uh, we pray that this day, by the power of your Spirit, You would blow us away afresh by your amazing grace to us in Christ. Please fill our hearts with gratefulness rather than grumbling, with joy rather than jealousy. For we know that in our sin we deserve nothing from you, and yet in Christ your Son you've given us everything. The one who was truly first became last for our sake. We praise you, Father, for your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.